This is Deads on the Podcast presents Warzone Eternal. Welcome to the Dead Zone Podcast. Dead Zone is the sci-fi tabletop. Welcome to another episode of Warzone Eternal uh, with your hosts. I'm Rick. And I'm Alex. Unfortunately, Rick Talk is not with us tonight. He's He's, uh, not. He's battling Demnogonus. Yeah, Trencher Dave went after him, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, as usual, we talk a little bit about the Kickstarter, uh, and then we're going to dive into some pieces on the game, and then we're going to do some lore. Sure. So let's jump in straight away with the last convention you went to was... Origins? Yep, Origins in uh, Columbus, Ohio. Okay, so tell me a little bit about Origins. What all did you guys do there? So Origins was primarily a, a show in which we were just you know, maintaining kind of a, the presence in the industry, right? Okay. So you know, we had a successful Kickstarter. Uh, Origins was less than a month after the Kickstarter <laughs> yeah. wrapped. So yeah, it was pr- pretty you know pretty short window there. Um, fortunately, Adepticon kind of gave us an idea of what the booth should look like. Yeah. You know what demo, what, what our demo setups were going to be. So, it's pretty, did you have the same table? Yep. yep awesome. Yeah. It's mean, such an amazing table. Right. No, exactly. And Dave did a nice enough job. That's one of those things where, you know, we want to make sure that it gets some circulation. Uh, you know, through a number of shows. Yeah. Especially you know where people have not you know seen it previously. Right. Sure. Origins. Origins is a very different show than Adepticon, right? So Adepticon, that's what I've heard. Yeah, Adepticon is very focused. Yeah, um, it's awesome in that, but it's very focused. Uh, Origins, the way I've often looked at it is, it was it's like a light version of Gen Con. Okay, right. So it's it's a much broader cross section of the gaming industry. Um, a lot of RPGs, a lot of board games, card games, uh, miniatures, kind of in an appropriate relation or proportional relation to the gaming industry in general, miniatures are, are a pretty small percentage of the, the people that are at, okay. at origins. So, so it gave us an opportunity to, you know, show off our figures to a lot of people who would never uh, show sure. up at Adepticon. Uh, and what was neat is there's a lot of people who stopped by and they're like, huh, is that a, is that a Razid on your banner? Is this like Mutant Chronicles related? And you know, because you know, people yeah. have played Doom Trooper, they played Siege of the Citadel, or they sure. played Mutant Chronicles in one of its previous incarnations. So you know, people then come over and check out the miniatures. And like, oh my gosh, the, the, this I is know this. Yeah. And, <laughs> like, are you guys doing like Praetorian Stalkers? I'm like, uh, you mean one of these guys? <laughs> um, so so yeah, it was it was really cool to to be able to have those conversations with with people who were completely unaware of of Warzone as an entity ever right they never played it back in the day okay okay yeah um they haven't played it in any of the iterations that occurred you know between the so a lot like myself <laughs> yeah no, exactly yeah um and so it's an opportunity right to uh you know to see what the reception is when you're literally just showing off miniatures yeah like it doesn't 
I have no preconceived notion, no nostalgia for this. Yep. I'm looking at these miniatures, and do I find them interesting just as presented as a thing? And the reception was great. Um, and do, then, you think, do you think, like, like, when you're talking about that reception for the people that had never done anything with it, uh, do you think it was more there than at Adepticon, or? Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, okay. uh, it's hard to I say. Because, I mean, obviously, Adepticon is very specific to what we do there. Yeah, I mean, I think there was probably far more people at Adepticon who had played Warzone once before, and okay. so we're familiar with it. Um, but I think what we had, yeah, I think we had a lot more people who also, whether they were familiar with uh, the Mutant Chronicles universe in any of its properties or any of its incarnations before, sure. um, you had a lot of people who just looked at it and said, well, I play sci-fi games, and these are cool. Yep. Right. I mean, Cybertronic is a perfect stand-in for any, um, you know, I want a cyborg-looking army. Or 100%. You know, Mishima. Everybody walks up, well, so where, where are the uh, space samurai? Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My, my buddy said that there's some cool space samurai here, so what are, uh, where yep. are those? And, you know, they don't care. They play Starfinder or they play, you know, whatever yeah, kind or of. Or any of those miniature agnostic games yeah, that oh, are out there. Definitely. These Star are Brave. also perfect yep. for that. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And so, so we had a lot of good interaction with people okay. from that perspective. We also got a chance to meet a bunch of backers too. Oh, that's so, awesome! Yeah, you know, we had a, several people who stopped by, and they're like, "Well, okay, I mean, I, I backed you. Um, can I get a demo? Right? I, I, I read, I read the <laughs> cool. uh, the kind of the brief rules that yep. you guys had for the Kickstarter, or I've listened to some of the podcasts, and I know how some of it plays, but I'd really like to try it out." Um, and we had we had uh, one guy, Hi Kanjo, um, <laughs> who uh, who stopped by uh, several times, and you know because we were changing up some of the factions, yeah. right? So he's like, oh, "Swing by tomorrow, and we'll have Brotherhood out here." Nice. Um, and you get a chance to see like how the faith mechanics work. So, um, so yeah, it was it was really cool to 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 have those engagements. So again, everything from I have no idea what these are. To yes, I backed. I can't wait. Um, you know, I just want show to see me these more. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So no, it was good. Um, I've I've always really liked Origins, and actually, one of the things that I that I noted uh, as I was setting up the booth was, well, it was about twenty, twenty four years twenty four years ago. <laughs> I was at Origins running Warzone demos for Target Games. Oh, wow. And it was the last time that Warzone had been at Origins yeah. with, with Target, right? Because right after that, you know, within a year, Target was gone. <laughs> so, so yeah, it was it was cool. I mean, I had, I was there. Yep. And then Warzone, you know, the Target Games iteration went away. And 24 years later, we're back. And I'm at the booth again. Warzone demos. Eternal, yeah. yeah. So it was a, it, it was, it was a cool... Yeah, kind of closing of the circle. Very nice. So, so you've got Adepticon done. You've got now Origins done. Yep. Um, are you going to Gen Con? Yeah. So I'll be there. Uh, Resnova will not have a booth there. Okay. There's a there's a multi year <laughs> sure. for, for a new publisher. Uh, Gen Con is one hundred percent a show that I that I want to be at. I, yeah. I, I want to exhibit at for a yeah. similar reason, right? Uh, I think it was two years. Uh, I helped run the the Target Games booth at Gen Con, okay. right? So we're running Warzone and Cronopia demos uh, for all four days. It was much younger then, so <laughs> you know, r- running demos for four days and standing on concrete for that long was not a big deal. Yeah, it's a little rougher now. It's much rougher. <laughs> yes. Immediately looking for you know orthopedic shoes and 
um, the right inserts. Yes, and, and like the, the the padded flooring that you can put down. Yes, your exactly. Um, so yeah, it, it's a show that I absolutely want to be at. Uh, I've been okay. to. Yeah, th- this is going to be my thirtieth consecutive Gen Con. I mean, I've oh wow! Going okay, every year since I was a, teen- <laughs> a, a young teenager. Um, uh, yep. So, so getting back to to Gen Con in official capacities, one hundred percent is something I would like to do. Uh, we're going to be we're going to be getting our name on that list. So hopefully next awesome. year, maybe I don't know. We'll see. I mean, if anyone out there who happens to be listening to this knows any strings that can be pulled, please pull them for us. Roll some dice and see what happens. Exactly. <laughs> so, but yeah, uh, but, but this year, I will be there. Uh, Rick Tack will be there. Brian will be there. Awesome. Uh, but all, you know, Brian will be there in one of his other you know, yeah. official capacities. Rick will be there, you know, doing his thing. Doing what uh, he does. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, you know, I'll be there very much in a, in a personal capacity like I've always been, but I'm also going to bring stuff to have uh, demos running in the open gaming area. Very nice. So we'll be posting to social media when, you know, we know, hey, tomorrow, you know, come swing by this area at noon. We'll have a table okay. set up. And, and we'll be doing that, you know, for people who are interested, want to actually you know, try their hand at the game. Very um, cool. You know, probably bring Probably bring the painted miniatures as well. That's... You know, less certain <laughs> because we don't have a cat. We won't have a display case to yeah. keep them in. And but yeah, we'll, I, I will be there, and so there will be an informal uh, presence of very cool Resnova Gen Con. So for you, obviously, you've been going to conventions for a long time. Yep. Um, as a player and as a demoer, uh, what's it been like the last couple of years with Resnova and going through conventions and having a booth at Adepticon? What has that been like for you, that transition? Uh, it's a lot more work. <laughs> um, right? I mean, so, yeah, I, I've been going to shows for a very long time, and I've gone to a lot of different types of shows. So I, you kind of get into a groove as an attendee. Yeah. Right? You know, you know that pack a bag of clothes. You know, if, if you're going to be playing games in the evening with your friends, grab some extra games to do so. Yep. And you just kind of show up. You just pop into town. And you're like, here I am. <laughs> and, you know, hopefully you've gotten a hotel, right? That's always the big issue with Gen I, Con. Yeah. Well, even with Adepticon, that's oh, the issue. Oh, sure. But um, when you're running a booth, it's, okay, so first, <laughs> well, what's going to go in the booth, right? Like, how do we lay that yeah. out? Uh, you can have amazing-looking booths, but, I mean, we're also recognizing that we're a brand-new company. And yep. our product line doesn't even exist yet. But to the extent that it does, right, as a as a kickstarted thing, yeah. it, it's a small initial project, a product line. So it's not like we need to be, you know, showing up with you know LED lit point of sale, oh you yeah, know, cabinets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, I mean, it's all the fancy, right? Exactly. So okay, so now you know what the booth's got to look like. Okay, how are we going to get it there, right? So <laughs> so then there's a matter of transportation, all the logistics. Yeah. Well, the nice thing is, right, given where Resno is located, uh, Adepticon Origins and Gen Con. Are all fairly close. Yeah, I mean they're they're all they're all the, the furthest one away is five hours away. Yep. So that's that's, that's absolutely nothing. drivable. Yeah. So now conventions like Pax Unplugged, which uh, Resnova has uh, exhibited at several years ago uh, for okay. one of our previous product products. Um, yeah, you know, that that's an entirely different deal, right? Because now <laughs> we'll get heading out to Philadelphia. Yeah. And so trying to transport a booth and everything, but yeah, it, then it, there's. 
hey, you got to make sure that you're there even earlier on the day before the convention because you have to get for the setup and get in there, right? And you have to go to the the loading yard, right? <laughs> yeah, and get in line in order to you know figure out when you can get to the loading docks to unload everything, and then you got a you know a finite window and you're scrambling and to get stuff in, hoping that you've got you know additional hands to give you, a, you know, <laughs> some help getting stuff out of the vehicles and set up. So yeah, there's and, and then every convention on a Sunday, right? It's kind of this, as an attendee, it's this mix of kind of easiness, but, you know, a little bit of melancholy, right? Like, yeah. oh, the show's done, and, yeah. man, this sucks. I have to wait until next year. And <laughs> and you could just kind of, like, slowly ease your way out of town, whereas when you're an exhibitor, it's like, no, okay, the show's done. Thank God. Because, right, <laughs> like, you know, you've been standing there running a booth for four days, yeah. and, and then you know that... You now have to break the booth down. You got to get packed in the car, and hopefully, you can get back over to the loading yard quickly enough that you can, you know, get your vehicle back get in and get yeah, out before and, eight o'clock yeah. at night. Um, so, so yeah, it, there's it completely changes the uh, yeah the, the tenor of the sure. of, of the event. Um, now that being said, I mean, I've enjoyed it. Right? It's yeah. I, I like conventions. Uh, they're pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. Working at a booth, I suppose one of the big upsides is I, I do much, much less shopping. That is a thing. So yep. I come back home from a convention like Adepticon. I'm like, wait, <laughs> I don't actually have anything. Like, I didn't. Since when do I go to a convention and not buy, buy something? Buy something. Yeah. So, uh, so that yeah, that that's a bit different. But, but yeah, it's they're, they're great. If you... If you have a convention nearby and you haven't gone to it, you need to do yourself a favor and go check out a convention. Yes, a hundred percent. And they, and that's even the small local ones. Yep. Uh, no, no matter how big your town is, yep. there's a town fairly close that's got a convention. Yep. I, I mean, Lansing guaranteed. itself just had the Comic Con, which uh, I took the kids to and my mom. Uh, <laughs> that was a very weird event because my mom had never been to anything like that. She's been to political things, sure. Political conventions, yep. Um, <laughs> which which like, is its own type, its of, uh, own type of debacle. Uh, but she, yeah, but she'd never been to something that had all that much nerd. Yeah, <laughs> yep. and she absolutely loved it. Well, that's great. Um, it was funny because for her, the biggest thing that she said, her biggest takeaway was she had no idea that the gaming industry was that family friendly. Oh, sure. Yeah, I mean, I think. I think that's absolutely true in general. And the shows that we're talking about, right, especially Origin. I would say even Origins even more than Gen Con just yeah. because it's a lighter show, a less dense show. Sure. I mean, they're they're absolutely perfect places to go you know, with kids. I, oh, yeah. So, yeah, conventions are extraordinarily family-friendly, 100%. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> I, and, I, and I, think, I think really, you know, so thinking about, you know, the experience you're talking about that your mom had uh, – I think with these things, as long as you walk in, even if you don't know what the heck this is, you're, you're willing to just accept it as it's is a thing that it is. Like yeah. you're not going to judge. You're not going to say, "Well, this isn't for me." You're just going to go in there and kind of soak in the atmosphere. See what it is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just the it's sheer passion it. that people have for this stuff. It's you can feel it, and you can kind of absorb it yourself. And you know, whether it means something to you or not, it's just. Like the the positive vibes, right? From a, <laughs> yeah, from, from a convention, yeah, whether it's definitely. a comic book convention, gaming convention, whatever, right? You, you find yourself in a place with a bunch of people who are super passionate about a thing. 
and it, yes. it's just invigorating. Yeah, it really is. Uh, so after Gen Con, Michigan GT, are you going to be there? It will be there. Yep. Perfect. So that's the next one after Gen Con. Yep. And then, uh, and then PAX Unplugged. PAX Unplugged. So again, yeah, and that's the big travel one for you as far as fill, figuring out the logistics. Yeah. And so we're not entirely sure. Uh, you know, we, we still don't have to commit to exhibiting yet. Okay. Um, so we're not entirely sure. You know, whether we're going to or not. PAX. PAX is. You know, similar to Origins or Gen Con in that, you know, miniatures gaming is a pretty small, small piece. piece of it. And and so there, there's always that calculation, especially since, you know, at that point, you know, th- that's still this year. So we're, yeah. we still will have not have fulfilled the Kickstarter. <laughs> yep. So we will not have anything to um, sell, right? Because we've made it very clear that nothing for Wars and Eternal is going to be sold until the Kickstarter backers have all their stuff. Their products, yeah. So... So it becomes this calculation of we have nothing to sell, and it's not a miniatures-heavy audience. Yep. Is the you know financial outlay for you know paying to go and paying to get a booth is it going to be worth is it? Is going to you know pay dividends? Yeah. yeah, exactly. And you know, so those are calculations that you know we're going to have to make for every show. But again, certain shows Adepticon is a guarantee. Uh, origins just because of the proximity um, yep. it, it, that'll be a guaranteed yeah uh, after that right it's it's hard to say Michigan GT will yep. be a guarantee uh, but then after that yeah it's it's see where it certain. takes you yeah exactly and you know just see what the kind of the community's appetite is right if we if we do go to PAX you know for a couple of years and we just don't see much response well okay maybe this isn't the right show sure I mean I'll that still make sense I'll still go to PAX and play <laughs> you know I've been going every year since it started and it's it's a good show on its own. Yeah. So just going there and seeing friends and hanging out. And oh yeah, maybe doing something similar to what we're talking about at Gen Con, right? Where it's informal and Pop running up. demos. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So we'll see. Right on. Uh, so speaking of the Kickstarter, uh, any news for us on how that's going? <laughs> so so we're currently so the, yeah, there's a, a number of things uh, happening, right? So obviously, play testers are, are are running through kind of the the core rules. Yeah. Um, I don't want to say a final time, but but pretty close to a final close time. Close to, yeah. Yeah, I mean. Because everything's pretty tight right now. Yeah, and the tweaks that we're making are literally like wording changes. Yep. Of, the verbiage yeah. of how this works. And, yep, yeah. exactly. Of a type necessary to make sure that, you know, there's. It's black and white. Crystal clear understanding, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, the All of the, the fiction that we unlocked, uh, we're yep. going through kind of final copy editing on all that. Awesome. Um. I'm getting kind of the final collection of images over to Death Ray Designs for the uh, the decal sheets. Okay. So because by the time the Kickstarter uh, pledge manager unlocks, we want to have render images of what each of those sheets are going to look like. Yeah, exactly. Uh, speaking of which, working on the pledge manager, <laughs> yep. getting that built out, and what, oh, and then and then our production partner is is already starting to go through and do the you know the review of all of the STL files okay. to determine like what are the what are the potential production limitations right sure. you know where are we going to have to make cuts that maybe weren't originally there uh, what parts need to be you know filled right I mean, you know, the, the, the sculptors that we have they're all super talented but there's always going to be slight flaws in the sculpts right they're yeah. going to have inadvertently left a hollow space in the middle of a model sure right which could compromise it when it's being used for production purposes yeah so you need to go through and 
Exactly. Go through them with a fine comb yeah. to make sure everything's 100%. right. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not a matter of like, okay, we're done. So everyone start printing off your STL files. It's, okay, <laughs> we need to produce these things. Yeah. And we need to refine these things in such a way that, that they allow easy um, production going forward. I mean, things awesome. like, you know, the Praetorian Stalker uh, models look amazing, but there's like a row of spikes that go down each of the legs. Yeah. And it's like, those are really cool looking. And my production partner's like, yeah, so those are going to be a problem. Um, and so it becomes oh, no. you know, a question of like, okay, so do we do something like all those spikes are popped off and they're yeah. on a sprue and you glue them in? Or do we kind of narrow them down and make them instead kind of like, you know, spiky nubs as opposed to like full on horns? Yeah. Um, yeah that kind of stuff is is what he's he's working on. So that's going to proceed... I mean, that's going to proceed through the summer. I mean, we've got, yeah. got 100-plus models in this Kickstarter. E, there's a few. Yeah. <laughs> so so that's going to take all the way through um, the summer and into the fall. Okay. But the nice thing is, right, with CoCast, the production speed is quick enough that once we have all of this, all the homework done ahead of time, the actual production is quick. That's great. Yeah. I mean, like, the ability... It's almost as fast as the molds can cool down, they go back in. Oh, wow. And so you okay. can cycle, right, a yeah. number of different molds through it. I mean, the machine doesn't care which mold you're putting in. Yep. So, you know, you're able to cycle through the molds and, you know, produce produce stuff at a pretty rapid pace. So the the, the, the May time frame for fulfillment is, yeah. I mean, again... Things can change. Obviously, but that may is still out there. Absolutely. It's still absolutely the intent. Cool. Well, I think with that, that's a lot of news for us. We'll we'll take a quick break, and then we'll jump in on some mechanics on the actual game. Awesome. All right. Stay tuned. What's up, everyone? I'm Andrew. And I'm Coach. From Family Gamers 777 on YouTube. And you are listening to Dead Zone the Podcast with Rick and Brian. Do you think they'll be upset that our audio is better than theirs? Nah. Rick will probably just laugh it off. <laughs> Told you. All right. Welcome back. So let's jump into Warzone Eternal play. Awesome. Uh, so we've started talking a little bit about, like, the reaction system yep. in some parts like that. And I want to keep going with that. And let's talk about the actual actions you can take yep. with each unit. Okay. So, yeah, for those of you who are familiar with Warzone, or even if you're not, um, there is a, a, every model has two actions. Yep. And so, you know, in old school Warzone, models had, you know, three to four actions, depending, I guess maybe even more than that for some models. But on average, they had three actions. Yeah. And that was one of the, the mechanics that a lot of people thought were really cool back in the day, and it was one of the things I think really kind of defined what Warzone gameplay was, right? You activate a model, and you do X number of actions with that model. Yeah. And each action was a discrete thing, right? So you could shoot, shoot, shoot. You could move, 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 any combination of those things. So we wanted to replicate that. Uh, we, we opted for two actions per model, 
Uh, okay. In part, it was to speed the game up. Yep. Uh, also, it helps mitigate against some of the more powerful weaponry, right? We didn't, <laughs> there we, are some powerful yeah. weapons. <laughs> so um, we, we didn't want to create um, you know, arbitrary limiting factors like like rate of fire. Like, well, yeah. this gun can only shoot X number of times per sure. turn. Like, well, but why? why? Why would it only be yeah, able to why? shoot? Why? Yeah. If, like, if you have the ability to, if, if a if a activation represents a period of time, these are the things that the model should be able to do within that period of time. Yeah. Right. What? Why is there an artificial limitation on, on the actual rate of fire for it? Sure. So what that meant was, like, back in the day, so you had some heavy machine guns that could shoot four shots per action, Whoa. three actions. So that one model is <laughs> pumping out 12 <laughs> shots, right? And so... It was, it was insane. And so the two actions, again, speed up gameplay, but it also allows yep. us to kind of um, create some boundaries around those really powerful weapons. So they're, Definitely. while they're still more powerful than just a regular rifle, they don't become overwhelmingly so, right? Yeah. Uh, it's still, a you know, heavy machine gun gets to fire typically a burst three weapon in Warzone Eternal. So it still puts out three times as many shots as a regular rifle. Yep. But there's a difference between three times as many shots being only four extra shots as opposed to six extra, <laughs> six shots, extra shots for activation. So so every model can do two actions. Okay. And in those actions, each one, they're they're kind of all the standard things that you would imagine, right? Sure. So you can move. Yep. Which is move the model, whatever its movement, movement. Uh, characteristic is. You can charge, which is move the model that distance and then get a free uh, strike action at the end of it. Yep. Speaking of strike actions, another action type is strike action. Strike so those action. are your your melee attacks, yeah. right? Or or any attack that that occurs when you are engaged or considered engaged. Engaged. Yep. And considered engaged is there because you've got things like Yeah, long last time I weapons. played against you, yeah, exactly. it's that whole yep. Yeah, you can't attack me because right. I'm an inch away from you, yep. but I can attack you. Exactly. <laughs> well, I mean you can attack me. You just need to spend an action to close. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um so the strike actions, shoot actions, which yeah. are perform a ranged attack, um, uh, more situational, like uh, a climb action, like okay. action you want to climb a vertical space. Uh, for those models that have the ability, the flight ability, you can take a fly action, right? So that yep. you know represents the you know, movement that kind of ignores obstacles. Uh, you can rally. And what does rally do? So rally allows you to remove a pin marker, and now, that's kind of important. It is important, yeah. And so for most models, right? That's a, you know, that happens automatically. Yeah. For your less competent troops, so <laughs> things like your trenchers or yeah. when we get to them, you know, your Bauhaus Asars, you know, your, your line troopers. Yeah. Uh, they typically have to make a check in order to remove it. Okay. Uh, so, so there's rally, and then I believe the last two are aim. So you do that, and the next shoot action you perform in that activation gets a considerable bump you know, a bonus to hit <laughs> and a bonus to the damage stat yeah and then the last one is the brace action and so that one similarly the next shoot action you take during that activation it allows you to ignore the recoil modifier of a burst fire weapon okay and a, that burst fire weapon gains the suppressive ability which means that as long as all of your shots from that burst, so if you got a heavy machine gun with burst three, you yeah, three shots, as long as you put all three shots into one target, regardless of the success of that, whether you hit, whether you wound, any, regardless of any of the any successes, of you still put a pin marker on the on the target. 
that's pretty impressive. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the things that we wanted to you know, create was this um, combined arms aspect, right? Yeah. So if you've got you know, one of the questions in a game like Warzone, because you've got guys running around with swords, right? you got warriors, <laughs> you got yeah. men, and how do you get them into combat? Yes. Right? Well, one of the first things we said was, okay, in general, most of the models that have swords, like Capital Sunset Strikers, right? Yep. They have an assault rifle. They the do. So, the swords are there to make sure that they dominate melee if that happens. But Warzone is still generally a ranged combat game. Sure. But then you've got units like Mortificators, um, units like Mirror Men. They, they want to and they need to get close. Yeah. So they've got some abilities to help them with that. But then the other abilities you have are, I'm going to have my heavy machine gunner brace and shoot that guy over there. He's now suppressed for sure, meaning that model's got a pin token. They're not going to be able to use a reaction marker to now ambush my to mirror men as he runs across. Yeah. Um, throwing smoke grenades, things like that, right? Yep. So, so we wanted to create that combined arms effect. And so it was important to make sure that a heavy machine gunner is not just a guy whose gun hits really hard <laughs> when it hits, but it has the ability... You know, to put out a spray of bullets yeah. and keep targets' heads down. Perfect. Yeah. So, so you can do any combination of those, right? So you can so you shoot, can shoot. you can move, move. You can yep. do the double shoots. Exactly. Uh, but it, it it almost sounds like the aim and shoot makes more sense. Given uh, it, it depends, right? Like if if you want to make sure that you hit that one person for sure, aim, aim is, is perfect is for better. It. Right. But yeah. you're going to find yourself in situations where you have multiple targets <laughs> and so shooting twice right to target each one might be more effective because again in warzone eternal it's not it's not binary right it's not yeah. either i kill you or i don't kill you it's i may i may uh, hit you and put a pin counter on you i may wound you so yeah, you're going to be easier yeah. to kill later so even if you don't necessarily remove the model right away shooting at somebody and potentially pinning them and then shooting at somebody else and potentially pinning them could be limits more your opponent. Effect. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Um, because really, you know, that's what the pin counter is, is it's a limitation on your action economy. Yep. Right. Because you're either going to simply say, okay, fine, I'm going to keep the pin counter on me. I know I can't react. I know I can't advance on the enemy. Um, but I can still do two actions or I have to burn one of my actions in order to rally to, to get this out here. And then yeah. I can do whatever I want to. So, um, so yeah, that's, uh, yeah, I, th I think you're right. I mean, in general, if you're going to, you know, if, especially if you have a sniper, I, well, you're probably going to want to aim yeah. and then shoot, right? Because then you're really focused on, I'm going to take that person out. That's my job. Right. And yeah. then similarly with the burst fire weapons, brace is really important when not, not just for trying to make your next shot more likely, but also gaining this extra utility of getting that suppressive ability that you don't otherwise have. So presently in the 100 plus models that you have yep um are there any models that have a limit to their actions like specific models that can only do one action no okay no and because i've seen that in other games yeah um and it's always kind of curious about giving extra activations or whatnot and why you decided just the two and leaving it that well so, and this, this becomes, I think, a design preference, right? So yeah. when you had, so with First Edition Warzone, which you know, I absolutely loved, but you, you had... Fates 
kind of why you're hitting her. Right, yeah. <laughs> you had an, uh, a varied number of actions, right? Yeah. Again, so most models had three. But you did have some with more. And I, I can't remember. I think five might have been the max. Okay. That's a lot. Right. But <laughs> what always struck me about that, right, was since you can move as an action. Yeah. That model that has, even let's just say between three and four, for some reason that model can move further in the same amount of time as a different model. Yeah. And so for me, I've always looked at it and said, okay, if the model is faster, then then it should just have a higher movement rate. Yes. Right. And all we're all all of the corporations they're filled with humans, right? Even Cybertronic, right? At the end of the day, uh, they're they're base humans. humans. Yeah. And so what I wanted was to kind of constrain the <laughs> constrain the action economy okay. you know, to a, to a point where everyone was kind of operating within the same um, you know, same parameters, right? Sure. Like the, the, nobody was dramatically faster or you know able to strike more often. Almost that overpowered kind of situation. Yeah, I'm mean, like because you're two humans. The, the game, right? The game yeah. shouldn't have superheroes in it, in my opinion. Yeah, especially with the corporations. And when we start talking about some of the Dark Legion beasts, or maybe some of the the art um, you know, fueled Brotherhood troopers, may, maybe there's some differences there, but. For, for your the most standard part, humans, yeah. right? They should all roughly be able to do the same amount of things, yeah, in the same amount of time. Yep. Um. So yeah. So that's that's why we ended up sticking with with just the two actions and and one action, right? Like <laughs> I mean, one action is kind of rough. <laughs> it really is. And so, like for instance, with our under legionnaires. <laughs> so if you look at okay in war zone. What troop type could you possibly conceive of of having just one action, right? Where yeah. would that make sense? Well, like a zombie, right? Of course. Yeah, sure. Well, so again, we didn't want it to... Because even a zombie is going to do what it's going to do over a course of you know, time, time, right? Yeah. yeah. It's so, almost that D&D six seconds. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, very much. Where it's... A, a, everybody yeah. does this something in it in that six seconds in that period of time that activation yeah. represents a snapshot of time on the battlefield yes. so but so what we decided to do with the undead legionnaires right as well they can't um they can't react by themselves right they need to have a necromune there or an under, a centurion there to, to lead them in order sure. to do so um you know, so there are certain things that they that they can't they can't snap to cover or uh, reposition yeah um which is I think we've talked about this before, but is the yeah we've the, the yeah, free we two inch the free two inch movement yeah. yeah um so limiting so what all they can limiting do. what they can do without simply saying well no you only get one action yeah right because then again it's like well so I'm gonna either gonna move or I'm going to to shoot well you know, as a zombie why can't they just continue shuffling forward and taking you know, unaimed yep. uh, you know shots so so yeah I, I doubt we'll ever see anyone with one action. But <laughs> it's also who knows, right? Who knows? Yeah, sure. Uh, but but you know. But at least in this first wave of what we got going on right now, it's two actions, right? And and I would say that probably you know, in the design bible for Wars on Eternal, yeah, two actions is this is what everyone has is two actions, two actions, and and if we deviate from there, it should be because of extraordinary circumstances. Sure. Well, right on. I I really like the two action system. Uh, I think it works out incredibly well in the games that I've played so far. Uh, but now that we know that, 
let's talk a little lore. Okay, yeah. Because I'm really curious about Mars. Uh, the Red Planet? Yes, the okay. Red Planet. So, I mean, it's it's one of those things, because if you look at sci-fi, especially 80s and 90s, everything was about Mars. Yeah. Uh, and not taking any punches, Mutant Chronicles has got a lot of parts to Mars. Oh, absolutely. I mean, especially you know, Mars being kind of the home of capital. Yeah. And I, I think we've said this a bunch of times on the show, right? You know, Capital's kind of defining aesthetic is 1980s American action. <laughs> yeah, it sure is. So, so yeah, I mean, it, 100%. I mean, everything, it's not that it's derivative. It's just it looked at what its inspirations were and yeah. kind of built around that. So Mars was 100% occupied by Capital first? Or uh, it, did it kind of get a little bit of everybody? Yeah, so Capital was the one who... Um, colonized first okay terraformed first and controlled the vast majority of the planet because there's some very distinct locations on mars yeah right? absolutely i mean you know mars is, is still a big planet right yeah. and so you know mars ends up being the planet that is probably the most in terms of the role it plays in the mutant chronicles system yeah uh mutant chronicles world it's it's probably the most modern day earth-like Okay. Okay. Right? You know, it's got massive um, agricultural areas, and it's you know the, the the Martian deserts have been beaten back by these these polar canals, right? That are used to irrigate you know uh, huge stretches of the northern hemisphere of Mars. Okay. And you know, it's got whole areas that are dedicated to um, you know industrial, right? So smelting and um, steel production. It's got you know, massive cities in there that are obviously inspired by something like a, an idealized version of New York City. Yeah. Right. So, <laughs> so it's the most Earth-like, um, and and so yeah, it's 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 not just capitals, but um, but yeah, capital is kind of the faction, kind of like Venus is defined as you know Bauhaus and Mercury as um, Mishima. Uh, Mars is very much capitals, but no. The all of the corporations have because if I understand stand right, like, um, so I was kind of doing it for a change, I was kind of doing a little bit of research, yeah. Um, it, there's so much out there, it's like I don't know which direction to go, but sure, I found some interesting things for myself. And one of the things that what's the city called, uh, Cyberopolis, Cyberopolis, yeah. So the only people that can go in this city are Cybertronics, yeah. I mean, it, it's basically like a massive research facility within spitting distance of San Dorado. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, there's, and the, the nice thing is, right. Since mutant Chronicles was an RPG. Yeah. Kind of originally, there's a lot of seeds that are just kind of thrown out there and then left. Right. We're not going to discuss this. We're not going to build upon it, do something with it. Yeah. Right. And so like one of the questions is like, well, why does capital allow Cybertronic to roll into Mars <laughs> and build this top secret research facility close to you know the 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 capital capital on on Mars, right? It's yeah. Like, well, what is the upside for, you know for them? Uh, and so they kind of hint at like, well, maybe it's because you know capital, without truly admitting they're doing so, are you know getting high tech AI from Cybertronic, and so in return, they're willing to help protect Cyberopolis from. You know, Dark Legion or Brotherhood or whoever. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so yeah, no, completely top secret. Nobody's allowed to go in there. Um, you know, Cybertronic shoots you on sight. Nice. Doing Cybertronic kind of things. In, so obviously you have all the different factions mm-hmm. and um, corporations throughout Mars. Yep. I, so with the canals, like there's a special force, if I understand right, that's kind of polices the canals. Yeah, I mean, I think well, there's a couple you know, things that are out there. So there's the um, uh, what's known as the Freedom Brigade, okay, which is kind of like a French Foreign Legion style oh, okay. thing, right? Sure. So it's a lot of you know people who have been um, you know, lost their rights as a citizen and are trying to regain them, or people that want to join capital from other uh, corporations. So you know, do time. They get put through this program, exactly. and yeah, and so they tend to be the garrison troops that are out in these remote areas. And so whether you're talking about the canals, or you're talking about like the, the massive um, uh, railway that basically yeah yeah goes yeah around yeah. the entire yeah. planet, which is huge, massive, absolutely. Uh, these both of those things, both of the kind of those massive transportation or infrastructural um, components that, yeah. that help Mars operate, you know, the brigades are just kind of like, you're literally at some fort in the middle of the desert <laughs> all by yourself, right? And and you will in six months when the train comes by, you know, it goes on this one particular branch, they'll pick yeah. you up and they will replace you with your replacements. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, the canals are canals are enormous, right? They, so they they start in the northern hemisphere and they basically run south down to the equator yeah. with kind of branching um, you know, tributaries, and they're huge, right? They're up to like a mile across, and they you know they, they run for thousands of miles, and this is what allowed Mars to uh, you know, turn turn what was basically just a giant desert into like this super fertile um, farmlands, right? Yeah. Where the vast majority of all the foodstuffs that capital consumes come from these areas. Okay. Now they had similarly, they had uh, canals that ran from the Southern um, polar region as well. But before the arrival of the Brotherhood, when all the corporations were at each other's throat continuously, <laughs> um, capital, or, uh, Bauhaus, Mishima and Imperial all landed, all claimed areas in the South Capital tried to um, you know, repulse them, and it turned into this lengthy war that resulted in almost all the canals being destroyed. Oh wow! The uh, because there was no more of this natural irrigation, um, yeah. The the desert, the the huge equatorial desert, like has reclaimed the entire southern um, hemisphere, <laughs> and so there's you know there's some scattered small dark legion citadels. You have like nomadic peoples who decided well before the cities were ever established, right? The, the early pioneers that you know, they were not going to go in the direction of kind of like rebuilding an, um, earth again. Yeah. And so they, they disappeared into the desert and they are these like these nomadic people who, um, you know, fiercely defend their territories there. And, and so it's, you know, it's kind of cool. Like, you know, yes, yeah. like, do they become easily seduced by the Dark Legion <laughs> or, you know, or do they live this really, really brutal and short life where they're fighting both the environment and, you know, the Dark Legion's yeah. encroachment, right? So the Southern Hemisphere is just a giant mess. Um, and, you know, the Brotherhood, when, uh, when calling for a truce amongst the corporations to fight the Dark Legion originally, one of the things they said was Southern Hemisphere is off limits. Capital, you, you don't get to claim it anymore. 
you know, you corporations over there, you can all have a foothold in it. Sure. Like, stop. Just, just stop. <laughs> and so everybody, everybody kind of has a little bit of a presence down there, but Capital's still pissed off because they think that's ours. Yep. Um, so they're angry that they had to give it up. Uh, and then, like I said, then there's this a number of small Dark Legion citadels that are kind of do dotting the Southern Hemisphere. Yeah. So it's a really cool environment in that, you know, Mars has got all these massive cities that are super, super modern, super, you know, densely populated. Yeah. And then you've got this whole whole southern hemisphere that is just a, a wilderness. Desert, a wilderness, yeah. yeah. So it, it's a cool setting. And then of course it's also Mars is also home to the uh the largest Dark Legion citadel um in the human planets. Really? Um, yeah, so Saladin, the uh <laughs> the the Nephrite, has this enormous, enormous citadel. Just you have towers like you can see it from space. <laughs> and so Capital has completely encircled it. Yeah. With trenches and fortifications and basically every single day is bombarding this thing just to oh, try to wow. keep them from 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 flowing out and flowing out and doing know, their overwhelming thing, yeah. things. Yeah. So like every night, right, there are spotlights shining up in the air as capital bombers just fly over and just drop thousands and thousands of bombs on Saladin. <laughs> yeah. So I mean again, it's completely ridiculous and over the top. I, and it's so it's it's really fun learning this lore from you because like in the back of my head while you're talking about this like i'm instantly thinking of ways to put that into scenarios yeah because like like the whole train thing mm -hmm. like that's completely a scenario like i it's crossing the two games but in dead zone we did a train scenario of that capture the train kind of thing yep um but it, it's that can do the same thing with warzone eternal but that's get to the train station yep. to get out yeah um, or i mean you could imagine like so in the the, the dough pits there right the the trench lines yeah. around um the citadel like playing a mission where you know as the capital forces you're trying to get in to some objective but you're doing so like while undercover from bombing raids at night yeah. and so they're just they're, they're like randomly scattering um, <laughs> explosions going on, yeah. on the table um, yeah, it's just is, I, is I, that true? Uh, change the environment of the game without right. changing the game at all. Exactly. Yeah. So, and we've talked about this before. I know Brian has mentioned it a bunch, and you know, I exactly on the same page. The idea of of doing what you're talking about, right? Yeah. Modifying the game in such a way that uh, it, it really helps evoke the narrative. Yes. But you know, it it doesn't it doesn't mess with game the core gameplay you know yeah. how to play wars on eternal now here let's just throw in a couple you know interesting environmental effects and when we talk about environmental effects a lot of times it's like well it's the graviton archipelago of venus so it's like these dense jungle rules we'll talk about all this sure stuff. but it very much just as well could be bombing runs over yeah, top like of the i mean so like that bombing run it'd almost be one of those situations where it could pin you yeah without you knowing it is like oh crap yeah <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, there's, again, because of the fact that this is uh, an RPG universe kind of yeah, origin, yeah. there are all these cool little breadcrumbs that we could pick up and use and run with in order to do something fun on the battlefield. Awesome. Yeah. So, no, so Mars is, Mars is cool, and there's, there's a ton of space there for us to play. Right on. Well, I think, Alex, uh, without TikTok being here to <laughs> give us some other stuff, I think that about wraps it up for us. Awesome. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening again. 
And of course, jo- join us all on social media with uh, Dead Zone the Podcast and Resnova. Resnova Games. Yep. All right. 